0: Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including David Walker, Tim Edwards, Illico Elia, and Andy Hagan. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us from as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and everything around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod.
1: And I'm Rafe Blanford.
0: This is season 11,
2: episode nine, and this week we're talking about the trends from CES. Yes, that's right, we ship Blanford off to Vegas to walk the shore floor and spot the latest tech.
1: And I found this year's show was all about how our lives will be full of connected devices.
0: Welcome back chaps, how are you doing? Very, very good.
1: Ray Flanford? Quite agreeable, thank you. Quite uh, you, Come you on. look now. This is bring the, f- the
0: energy. This is the first uh, recording that we have made in 2016, and, and a number of the astute listeners will be saying, hang on a minute, haven't they released a couple of episodes already? But that's the magic of, of podcasting. We can do that. We've got all the science mm-hmm. and technology that let us do that. So, yeah, did
1: you have a restful break, Ray Flanford? I did have a very restful break. I enjoyed having a bit of disconnected time over Christmas. How oh, were the sausage rolls? The sausage rolls were truly excellent.
2: Okay, fantastic. Excellent.
1: And I also enjoyed getting a connected present, which was a Kindle Voyage, which I'd have never bought for myself. A Kindle what? It's the high-end Kindle. Oh, very nice. All oh, right.
2: Lovely, lovely. Okay, right. Excellent, excellent. And uh, you, McLaren, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I had a very restful break because I was disconnected. Were you? I thought I was in the I'm Isle sorry of... to hear that. I was in the Isle of Lewis. There's no signal.
0: Where's the Isle of Lewis for those of us who don't like to go Hebrides, no- north it's, um, of the Thames?
1: It's just above the Isle of
0: Harris. Fair enough.
2: Yes. I feel silly for asking. There that. you go. It's the northwest coast of Scotland. Is that
0: the ancestral
2: home of the Clan MacLeod? Uh, Clive, I, I went to the castle. Right. Said hello. Am I the only one on this podcast for that castle? Well, you need to do your heritage stuff. So I popped into Dunvegan. Thank you. Hello, everybody. That's the, the seat of the MacLeods. Right. That's in Sky. I'm a Lewis MacLeod. Is that a euphemism for toilet? S K Y E E? No, it's S K Y E Seat of the MacLeods. S K E. Oh, I see. Oh, sorry. Okay, gotcha. it. Friend. <laughs> move swiftly on please how are you how, is your how about break? you
1: Ben did you have a, a nice time I believe you went to your ancestral homes in the west of Ireland
0: well not my ancestral home Mrs Smith's ancestral home cut me in half and I bleed uh, Union Jack all the way through or whatever but no Mrs Smith uh, we went we went back to, to the island with, with her family and it was very nice and then because we have a small child everybody got sick with with baby chairs oh no but uh, we're all better now he says, trying to convince him. So special, Rafe Blanford episode this week, which yes. I think is very yeah. exciting. Microsoft at last. Uh, no, that's very good. And uh, Ra- Rafe, um, where did you go? And what
2: yeah, are we Where going have you just to? come back from?
1: I spent the first week of January in mm. Las Vegas visiting CES, which, for those that don't know, is basically the biggest trade show dedicated to consumer electronics and Mm. it it really is everything consumer electronics because you start with cars and you finish up with the components and the cable ties at the other end and it's spread over three convention centers so it's absolutely enormous where did you stay i stayed in the cosmopolitan on the strip in las vegas
2: i've been there it's a bit plastic isn't it it is
1: it's fun to visit once but the second and third time the appeal does start to wane did you do any betting I did. I won $25 in the slots in the airport while I was waiting for my plane. But oh, apart well from done. that, I didn't have time.
2: Oh, I didn't have time.
1: I was too busy looking at all the interesting things at CES.
2: Okay, interesting. Okay, all right. So what popped? What's what the top? Well, I, I
1: just want to interrupt with okay.
2: a regular listener and longtime fan slash friend of the
0: show, Stefan Constantinescu, oh, yes, has just very recently tweeted... Hey guys, I enjoy all the CES podcasts, but it's the 17th of January. Can we get over it now? And I'm just looking at the...
1: the, Sorry, looking Stefan. At the
0: yeah, so I think we need to apologize specifically to Stefan and, and pledge that we'll do something more interesting than all the CES reviews. But... Yes. ...Brief yeah, Blanford.
1: So actually, I don't think you want to talk about one product in particular, though I'm sure we're going to scatter them throughout this podcast. Actually... I'm not sure there was one standout product. I mean, there were things like Faraday Future announced their new concept car, which got a lot of buzz, but ultimately what was interesting about that was the way they chosen to put it together in the business model that they're gonna follow, where they're effectively subscription model for cars. Interesting. And then a chassis, which is basically modular. And I think that sort of thing we've seen in other consumer electronic products. And it's the Chinese funded Teslas, how people talk about it. As I say, that's not the bit that interested me. There was a lot of smart home, which I think is interesting given the challenge that we've been talking about. But the actual amount of hardware innovation was perhaps less than there has been in previous years. There is this idea of software and services and everything that sits on top of that. But the thing about CES is it allows you to see that broad spectrum, which you typically don't get at a specialist show like Mobile World Congress. And so it's those broader themes that come out that I think are the thing that are most relevant here. It's everything from the connected cat litter tray.
0: It's the internet of poos.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then you go, there's the um, connected pregnancy tester, and you sort of go, yes, a stick that you pee on that's got Bluetooth connectivity. And you sort of go, that sounds a bit rubbish. But actually, when you go and talk to them and think about it, I have my doubts also about whether you would want to use that as a connected object. But the reason they've done that is there's a traditional company who's in that space already, who then wants to have permission to talk sort of pregnancy content in general over a longer period of time. So it's a way of extending their business opportunity and model. And that's something that I think we see with a lot of connected devices. It's not just the thing, it's then what you can add to that. What is the adjacent portfolio? And for a lot of traditional companies that's what the opportunity is. And so it's very easy to laugh at some of these connected objects and it's a bit like the early day wearables. And actually now we're starting to realize that that data is quite valuable and it's the service add on top. And so that's the sort of thing you see at CES, it's not having a connected device just for the sake of saying it's connected. And that applies to the new appliances that Samsung were announcing, that LG were announcing, Mm. that Whirlpool was announcing. And as we go through this podcast, I'm going to try and drop in some of my favorite ones.
0: Okay, so you've picked out three main themes, Rafe Blanford, that we're going to talk about from CES. But you and I think if we're going to have a Rafe Blanford podcast episode, mm-hmm. We are committed to that. I think we are committed to that. I think it's time we have some Rafe Blanford theme music now. I think he needs his own, he's oh, reached, the no. sta- reached the status that he's got his, his own part of the show. You yeah. know, he's, he's obviously clearly like a residency more, kind of, thing, more yeah. of a celebrity than you or I Indeed. Well, that's obvious.
1: Well, it's going to be such a nice episode too.
0: <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, for your enjoyment, I think, you know, we'll test out some Rafe Blanford theme music, shall we?
1: No. Yes. <laughs> That's excellent. There we
0: go. I think it's Ralph, ladies and gentlemen, Ray blanford
1: <laughs>
0: So, Ralph I will blanford. have
1: my revenge in this life or the next. Probably the next. Oh, glad
2: idea to reference. Yeah,
0: because you, you look ropey, and it doesn't seem far off.
2: <laughs> you actually, you do look very tight. So Las Vegas has clearly taken a toll on you. And just before we get into it, i was Vegas? So we, you went to the Flamingo. Where else?
1: Honestly, it could have been anywhere. Like all of these trade shows, you end up in a big cavernous hall with lots of Wi-Fi signals scrambling, you're left, right and centre. Everyone looking slightly spaced, late dinners, late parties. Did you have a an, ride right, next morning. Okay,
2: so reverse a minute. Just before we continue, did you have a
1: nice meal? I did. Where? It was in the Cosmopolitan.
2: Okay. Did you go and see Celine Dion? Uh, no. You promised us you were going to... Okay, I, I didn't right, promise right. anything of the sort. Fine, okay. And then what parties did you go to?
1: I went to a Twitter party, uh, an AOL party. Are they, AOL? Still,
2: Are they still going? AOL.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, well, that's also, uh, now to make sure I get this right. Verizon have bought them, so. Right. God, yes, that's right, yeah. You know, and so a lot of the big names, and then uh, some for Digest LBI as well for the publishers group.
2: Oh, did you see publicist people?
1: I did. Um, in fact, did LBI is part of the publicist group, which is why that happens. And
2: the last question, sorry, Ben, last question. Did you get a massage?
1: Uh, no, sadly I didn't have oh, Were you it.
2: instructed to get a massage?
1: Uh, I may have been
2: right. Okay, fine. Because we do need to come to the massage topic at some point. Yes,
1: yeah, so when we get to a hundred dollars per episode, okay. and not before, we will come back to that topic and give you a an update
0: as uh, to the the totalizer. Yes. Anyways, Rafe Manford, there are three topics we picked out this week, and the first one on the big whiteboard of a gendery setting new where, where we do all of our intricate episode planning. The giant laser display board, as it were, says Rise of Continuum" and. That is where my understanding of the topic begins and ends. It was a
2: really good series on Netflix
0: as well. It it was. Explain it to me like I'm five, as the Reddit
1: people say. Well, I I apologise for the slightly uh, trekky nature of that uh, phrase, but it's one I really like, and I'm a big fan of the word continuum, so I couldn't resist getting it in. But actually, this is the idea that there are now a whole spectrum of devices and way of interacting with services. And actually, it's really come about because of the move to the cloud, you can now be pretty agnostic in the way that you address your digital services. Up until a few years ago, I think we saw the mobile phone as the primary way of getting at things as the kind of the ultimate remote control. And even before that, it was kind of through the desktop and to a certain extent, the web was the kind of the great leveler. And you can see things like wearables or everything orbiting the smartphone. And that absolutely still exists. But we're seeing, a, if you like, a broadening of that ecosystem. So it's becoming much more of a distributed ecosystem. The idea that you'll be able to address your digital services through other devices that aren't connected to a, a PC or a smartphone, or at least not directly. Now, we've seen that for a while. Things like the Sonos speakers are kind of interested in, in, in that way because they start to have control, so they're independent of the phone, but it's still rather dependent on the phone. But increasingly now, there are devices that live and breathe on their own. And we've talked a little bit about it in some of our smart home things in the way there is these kind of appliance-like devices.
0: Give us an example, because I'm struggling.
1: So I think one of the best examples is actually the Amazon Echo, which is a smart speaker that's produced and it's actually only available in the US at the moment but you can address it through natural language and ask it to play a playlist. You can even buy things directly from Amazon. It's always on as well, right? As a press it a button or it's always on. And we're seeing the same thing. A lot of products, actually one of the ones that caught my eye at CS was a company called triby which is designed to be stuck on the fridge effectively. And it integrates with this Amazon Alexa or Amazon Echo functionality in order to be able to basically do queries a bit like Siri and Cortana, but to say completely independent of the phone, But equally, well, you might think about some of the recent advances that Philips has had with its huge lighting system where it actually has switches and things that happen independent of the phone or that there's that kind of integration within the smart home where there's dedicated decisions going on. One of the best examples of this, though, was actually a washing machine. And it's very easy to laugh about connected devices and connected appliances. And the internet fridge has been a thing for as long as I can remember. But this was the ability to have a big tank in your washing machine that you filled up once. Yeah, that's where the clothes go, Rafe. Oh, I knew I was getting something wrong. But actually, what was clever about this is it knew when it was running out of detergent and it would order more for you automatically. And it was using Amazon Dash or Amazon um, Ordering to do that. And we've seen the buttons that let you do that. And they had them for Tide and a couple of others. But this was built into the device. And it's that delegated decision and automatic fulfillment that starts to sound quite interesting. I think there's still a lot of work to do here. Don't get me wrong. I mean, just doing an Amazon order for seems like a a bit over the top. But if it could put something onto your shopping list or start doing interesting things with that, I think those have a lot of potential. A lot of the medical devices that report directly to the doctors would also come into this. It's not just in the consumer space. You can see it in business to business. And it's, you know, we've had machine to machine for a long time, but it feels like we're on the cusp of having a lot of these Kind of spectrum or continuum of devices arrive that aren't just ones that orbit the smartphone. So, the problem
0: you and I see with that one is did you see that story about the, I think it was a Samsung fridge that had a calendar built into the front of it and Mm -hmm. it was hooked up to Google Calendar? And then, of course, the Google Calendar API changed and rendered the whole thing, you know, Mm. worth it. And with medical devices, obviously, that's compelling because. you're given the medical device probably by the medical practitioner and the cost of the device is small relative to the value of the care. You know, like if I'm sick or if I'm managing an illness, I don't mind having to replace the kit, but my washing machine needs to last me many, many years. I buy it. Well, what happens when that washing machine, you know, when when Amazon stops the the
2: subscription service? My model for washing machines is every two years would be ideal. Really? Yeah. I mean, you get through them at a rate or not. So as well, lost, just the minute anything breaks, let's get a new one. These are a throwaway for me. I
1: think that's not really an ideal position to be in, but there is what a product you know, life no, cycle. I don't, I don't
0: agree. I don't agree. Why? I don't think they break it's every two. Very environmentally yeah. well, friendly. I mean, yes, you're, you're right, Rafe, but set that aside for a moment. Just from a purely practical point of view, I don't think that they normally break every two years.
2: They tend, well, in my experience, every two to three years. Yeah. They develop a fault. Are you washing rocks in yours or something? Well, I'm talking about washing machines, and I'm also putting tumble dryers, dishwashers. Yeah. Well, dishwashers, maybe it's slightly longer, but tumble dryers and washing machines typically about two or three years. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, my, my thought was that they lasted longer. I mean, I think.
2: Well, they can do. But I think that's years. what needs to change. If, if that's so what happens with me, the minute something it stops working, it demonstrably starts working, I ordered a new one from AO.com. But then this is where
1: online. where the model that you're starting to see, companies like Xiaomi and Litavi are actually making the smart part of these appliances modular, so you can literally yes. switch them in and out. Yes. And you know you're right, there were loads of fridges with screens, and that's an example of one of these continuum devices. Previously, it would have been dependent on the smartphone for some kind of sync. Now it's going up to the cloud. But you're absolutely right. These things tend to be quite brittle because they're based on APIs that... Are based around a product life cycle in the smartphone here which is two or three years not the 10 years we might typically associate with white goods
0: so if i think about my amazon subscription experience we have baby stuff mm-hmm. subscribed sometimes it doesn't come because they're not in stock and then oh, after any good. after a few months they write to you and say sorry we don't sell that anymore.
2: They yeah. do. It's just that particular SKU doesn't, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so even the subscription services are quite brittle, Rafe. I mean, you know, even if Mr. Amazon kept his API exactly the same, the units that they sell washing powder in or the fact that you go from powders to gels to, you know, whatever the, the favoured product of the, to- the moment is. If I look at our kitchen, most of the
1: appliances are built into part of the kitchen.
0: Where's this most prevalent then, Rafe? You talked about white goods. You talked about internet fridges. You talked about health. And where are we going to see this stuff?
1: I think the one where I see it most obviously in widespread use soon is the medical space, simply because it's the one where it makes sense to have the reporting back that's totally independent of the consumer. And that's partly for reasons of reliability. But, for example, for elderly healthcare, having the ability to keep track of someone without it necessitating some kind of syncing or with a smartphone is actually really important. And actually, there were some interesting ideas in that space around, there was a tablet that was specifically built for seniors. And this idea that they haven't been kept an eye on is something that's actually quite a problem to solve because from a, understandably, don't like being reported on by yeah. a, a device. So actually it used the fact that it looked at typical usage behavior and it would alert someone if you stopped using it under the pattern usage that they've previously been in. You know, if you stopped checking your email or doing your browsing every day, that would be enough for an alert.
0: So Auntie Maud has only viewed three cat videos this exactly. week. She might be dead. Check on her, please. On her. <laughs> so
1: that whole wider problem of how do you solve medical device and reporting back mm. through the brittle framework that has traditionally been associated with smartphones and actually typical wearables was interesting to me. And a lot of this is being accommodated by the fact there are now Internet of Things networks, and we've talked about Sigfox in a previous episode that kind of does that low power, low cost and relatively low bandwidth transfer. But you can use SIM cards from operators and all of that sort of thing as well.
0: So most of the devices I've seen generally have been Wi-Fi uh, yeah. to date. And that's been a problem because our, our Wi-Fi isn't on all of the time. Like when we go away on holidays, we tend to turn it off. Why? But, well, just because I, t- as I habitually turn everything You turn off, your TV off at night? I've got a power saving gizmo that does it for me, yeah.
2: Oh my god! You, before you go to bed, you actually turn every go and switch everything off. Then yeah, really. Well, uh, you walk all, around the house switching stuff off. All the stuff I don't want left
0: on. If we're going to leave the house for let's say for a fortnight, yeah, when we go on holidays, I'll turn everything off because our power supply isn't reliable enough that it won't go on, on, and off, on, and off, and off, and blow things. Okay, but maybe that's out of date. But I think so. Yeah, uh, um, I can tell from your face. Yeah, uh, uh, but but. Certainly, in a very connected house, I think our Wi Fi isn't available all the time. Many of our relations and family members still only just have broadband and certainly wouldn't have broadband of a speed and coverage where it would cover the whole house, you know, in order for every connected device. So there's a danger that somebody's going to go and buy a new Hoover or a new washing machine and it's going to rely on a connected service and all of a sudden you've got IT support issues.
1: And that's why I think it's the very early days of this kind of thing still in some ways. I mean, it comes back again to being brittle from the implementation. It doesn't mean that the idea isn't really interesting. But I do think there are some particular challenges to overcome where any of these unattended devices and services that just need to keep on working, we've kind of already seen it in the smart home, but I think those only multiply. Often these devices are completely UI free because they're just monitoring objects. And sometimes they are interactive, they're speakers, and it's very hard to troubleshoot them if they go wrong and don't work. You know, the Amazon Echo is a good example of this. And also this Trivi project had a basic e-ink display so it could receive messages from mobile device and it could act as voice over IP. But if it got disconnected, it would be hard then to sort that out. But nonetheless, I don't think that that is necessarily a reason to object to these and say it's not going to work. What caught my attention was we have talked so much about the smartphone as being that singular device that becomes all important in controlling everything and being the kind of the reporting point that we kind of lost sight of the fact there are lots of devices out there that can potentially be better if they're either connected in some way or indeed just new products altogether that don't have to go through that smartphone.
0: So this is an opportune moment to move on to the second point that we were going to talk about. And you have written down here sensor explosion. I don't think you
1: mean literally explosions. Bang. No. Bang. I mean lots and lots and lots of sensors. Mm.
2: And before Especially in our places of residence. Well, yeah, indeed. Certainly
0: now, yes. Uh, Rafe Blanford needs to be able to trigger the shipping forecast every time he goes to the toilet yeah. in the, in the evenings.
1: It's going to be a real problem in the like, Pavlovian response, there. Yeah,
0: refer, refer back to previous uh, Smartest Home competition episodes. Yeah. But we were talking before the podcast, Rafe, about how the fact that smartphones were such a big industry now, that the things that go in smartphones are now becoming cheap, commodity accessible, and therefore actually every other type of device was benefiting from that and so what kind of sensors were you seeing and what kind of impact was that having on the products?
1: There were two big impacts one of which they would just put more sensors in the same products and so the exemplar of this is kind of the Microsoft band which had 10 sensors in it but it's far from the only one just putting more things in it because both in terms of the power budget and the size of these sensors are getting small enough that it's quite possible to do that. Also the number of objects that do have sensors in them and this was kind of a corollary to that everything gets connected but to get everything connected you also need to put sensors in them if there's going to be eight times more internet of things things than there are smartphones there's going to be something like you know 24 32 times as many sensors out there and so you know, you would see a, a smart light bulb that also had a presence and a temperature sensor in it as well. So you can in the smart home that makes a lot of sense bundling those together. Kind of, it's really cheap to add an additional sensor. I think the best example is actually still the humble accelerometer, which actually we we'll go back to the kind of the N95, which was the first smartphone to have it in it in, in kind of a meaningful way. What time is that?
0: So that's 21 minutes. There you go. Yeah.
1: There we
2: go. First Nokia mention. Uh, right.
1: But it kind of amazes me now the number of those that are around in everyday objects because they've become so low cost. You know, when they first came in, we are probably talking a couple of dollars and now it's down to, you know, cents. It's it's absolutely incredible, the number out there. And so you see that at CES in all these objects and there are quite literally hundreds of wearables on the show floor, all of which are using these and plus the magnetometers and some of the other things. But also it is the new sensor types and so there are gadgets now that use light spectroscopy to tell you what your food is made of. And at the moment, it only works with fairly solid foods that are consistent, but you can see the future. That's where it kind of diet wow, and exercise. Future. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking it doesn't, to that work, one.
2: doesn't work in fast food restaurants. Really, <laughs> yeah. Hold it up to your cheeseburger. You can see the future. Mm. Oh, I see heart disease.
1: <laughs> but there are also air pollution sensors, that, again, mm. are typically using light to work out what kind of volatiles... Uh, in the air and they are getting to a size now where they will fit in a phone which then has quite interesting implications for scale of those kind of uh, networks collecting that information and obviously warning systems in the home as well and in the industrial workplace and so to me, kind of the interesting thing around CS this year was there were a lot, what you might call the sense of smell sensors were starting to become a lot more apparent. They've been kind of theoretical on the drawing board yeah. for a while. We haven't quite got to the point where they're on a nanowire, but they are being shrunk down to quite small chambers. And I'm very confident that in a few years, we will see those become a lot more prevalent. You know, you always see that cutting edge tech at CES. I would have thought a trade show was the last place you wanted
0: to introduce very sensitive smell-based equipment.
1: Yes, yeah, so it was a bit of a problem. And equally, you had that the other way around. One of the products, which I kind of liked, is just a, a bit gimmicky. Was an alarm clock that woke you up on the sense of smell. And given that how it was in America and it was in the startup area, the senses uh, that they were showing off was the smell of money. Um, in addition to in addition to bacon and coffee.
0: Yeah, bacon, bacon. That is the smell I want to wake me up in the morning. The smell of bacon.
1: But it's that cutting edge stuff, which is interesting because that's where you see the new products going. But it was just the sheer ubiquity of the sensors in everything. And of course, it was the T-shirts, it was the running shoes. And it was almost that we might as well chuck the sensor in because it gives us interesting data. And we can then start thinking about what we're going to do with that. And that sheer range of products is why I've described it as a sensor explosion. They've been there before, but we really have arrived at the point where it is so cheap. The economies of scales and the miniaturization are such that you can have pretty much any sensor you want in any product and at a very low cost.
2: Once you've got the sensors, you can then create the data. And once you've got the data, you can then create knowledge or awareness. I've got every single time the door is opened... That is being logged to a spreadsheet in the minute. I'm not sure why. It, there there the the is an the yeah, the, the front door. Yeah. If this then that has a thing, would you like it? I thought, all right. It said, we'll, we'll plug it into Google Spreadsheet. Okay, press the button. I don't know what I'm going to do with that data.
1: Well, that's interesting. You talk about that data. It's, no, it's not, it's not. Don't encourage it. Well, data in general, the stuff that you yeah. do with it is far more interesting than collecting itself. And we've yes. kind of already seen this with the services you build on top of things like Fitbit and Jawbone mm. and all of those. But if we talk about it in two general ways that I saw at CS, one of which was just using historical data to be able to go back and see past patterns and past trends. So you might as well collect this data, even if you don't think it's useful at the moment, because there will come something in the future, suddenly go, I want to analyze that. I think that perhaps the even more interesting one is you can start using data as a proxy for other things. So if you've got a thing collecting three data sets, you can then say in the future, right, I know that one of those has a relationship with another of those. And if you're only collecting one of those pieces of data on another product, you can effectively use that as a proxy to say, right, that kind of data also looks like that kind of data. sounds a bit complicated, but the easiest way to explain it is... People like you would do that, yeah. It's exactly that kind of thing. Actually, it's already been used in fitness trackers. And so you can have a cheaper budget fitness tracker like the Xiaomi Mi Band that costs $10 We can have the more expensive one that's got more sensors in it. The more expensive one at the moment can distinguish between 20 different types of exercise because it's got all those sensors in there. But the cheaper one, by using kind of proxy analysis and say that kind of exercise type looks like this, normally you wouldn't be able to tell. But by using that proxy, you can actually work out what the exercise pattern is. Best example of this that's already live in the real world is location. First smartphones needed a GPS to be able to do location. And it took three minutes. And it took, you took, had to, you took had to
2: put your N95 on the shelf by the window for three minutes for it to get a fix.
1: While it was collecting that GPS data, it was also collecting cell ID and Wi-Fi. And they built up a big database and said, when I see that Wi-Fi and that cell ID, I know I'm in this location. The consequence of that is a much cheaper device doesn't have to have a GPS sensor. But if it's got Wi-Fi and sell idea, and it, it can work out a location to within about 10 meters now. So that kind of proxy data, that this data lake, if you like, that's sitting, sitting underneath Reservoir. all of these datas actually makes really interesting implications for the business models going forward. It's not you know, it's historical analysis of data that lets you see past trends, but also I think most interesting is the idea of using proxy data. You
0: see, Rafe said it was a data pond before, but actually we all know that the Blanford Manor has a data lake. And for
2: our Scottish listeners, it's a data lock.
0: data lock. Exactly. So one of the things that, that struck me when you were talking about sensors was the possible categorization that you could have sensors that you carried around with you that were kind of integrated with the things. And then there was more sensors in the environment that you passed through that sort of detected what was going, you know, the sensor remains static or mm-hmm. the sensor travels around with you was there any case that actually people were thinking about now that you've got such a broad range of choices about sensors about where the best place to put them were you know that it was better to cover you in sensors you know health bands or fit bands in your shoes and everything or actually should it be the building is smart enough to sense you and your movement your health and that kind of stuff
1: I think at this stage the focus is still on putting it in things and products and the large-scale deployment of it into cities or to buildings hasn't really happened yet however there was plenty of that in the idea that you could start putting pressure sensors into carpets for example and use that as a way of measuring footfall in retail locations or you can use things like li-fi as a technology to actually start doing interesting things to update shop signage and although that's you know it's not a, a sensor usage as such it's obviously dependent to a certain extent on sensors to be able to do that The emphasis seemed to me to be around the individual and around what can you do to kind of modify existing infrastructure rather than put in brand new infrastructure, which is kind of the problem with smart pavements and smart cities and all that kind of thing. However, I think it's all going to come together and it'll be very difficult to distinguish between the two. What it does strike me is there are going to be sensors in so many different things. Actually, the trick of it is going to be identifying the individual and unifying that all together. So at the moment, it's pretty easy because you wear a Fitbit wearable.
2: You identify as off.
1: And that's a singular object. But once you start having, you know, multiple sets of clothes that might have sensors in them or a pair of shoes or insole, you're never going to transfer the insole from one set of shoes to another, you're going to have to work out which you're wearing on a given day and try and unify that data and more to the point try and be consistent with what you're collecting as i say i think that's where the proxy data might become more interesting
0: i could just see the excuses that i'm sorry i was late for work again i was just trying to pair my phone with my trousers and i couldn't quite get the qr code to scan well
2: I i would like to get this done properly soon so you can actually get something implanted in you That gives you heart rate and all that nonsense rather than having to wear something. We mentioned injectables Mm. before, didn't we? But
0: also there comes a point where we are not the only thing that's worth measuring because whether it's inside you or it's on your wrist or it's under your foot, that tells you about maybe your health. But perhaps at some point I want the sensors in my clothes to tell me about the condition of my clothes or you know, they're interested in telling me about those objects Mm. rather than just Telling me about me because they're close to me or or something like that. Because yeah. we talked about cars a while back, and one of the things that struck me is that I've been going around looking for new cars. They now all tell you when they need servicing, what their condition is, yes. you know, what the state of the tyres are, and effectively now, you know, there's lots of reporting. It's all very smart, and it just says fix this thing. And I can well imagine that that would scale down then to consumer electronics, anything in the home, maybe even you know shoes you need to resolve your shoes because you've worn them through so
1: it's interesting that direct measurement actually becomes less important and i didn't see anything particularly compelling that would solve this problem when you've got so many disparate data streams coming in potentially to your life actually floating the ones to the top that are important we've kind of expressed the fact that it's not the data it's kind of the decisions or the services that get made on top of those but even then you can quite easily imagine kind of notification overload from sensors that's telling you it needs to fixing or you haven't done enough steps today or the milk's going off or whatever it happens or to be. or don't
2: tell me i don't need to know like a tesla driver if someone just turns up in your driveway and says ah we're here to fix the car they're forward fixing
1: and they could probably tell on your past behavior whether you were likely to be driving that day or not yeah. or even potentially looking your calendar and of course this raises all sorts of issues around agency and privacy and security, you know, who do you trust to make those decisions for you and to store that data and to have access to those kind of things. And you know, traditionally it might have been someone like your bank for financial stuff, but this is about a much broader section of your life and particularly when it starts making decisions on your behalf, I think that sense of agency will become much more important because it is the kind of the arguments around artificial intelligence. But before we get to that point of it being clever enough to you know do thinking for you, there's going to be very basic agency that you know it will have to make a decision. And we've kind of seen that recently, actually, with uh, Nest in the smart home.
2: How long before you take out your delivery app, you say, I want a burger, and it says, sorry, that option has been grayed out because your insurance guy is not paying for it? Yeah.
0: I'm buying some life assurance for me and my wife at mm. the moment, you know, following the arrival of Mr. Smith Jr. Yeah. And um, one of the options available is pay this amount, but get this much rebated every year. If you can evidence you've done a certain amount of fitness, mm. and the one of the ways you can do that is by using one of the approved apps that they can plug into to see that you've gone running or you've gone yes. to the gym and those yeah. sorts of things. I like the idea because if anybody needs encouraging to do exercise, it's definitely me, but I also don't want that kind of continual anxiety of, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go and do this now because I need mm. to earn my points because I need to get the discount. Feels, it feels a, a little deal. bit
2: like marketing at the minute as and I don't think you're likely to get a phone call from them saying like you've not been there for three months, so we're going to cancel your policy. It's yeah. all
0: about stick, not carrot. Ultimately, the refund, I suppose, is the driver, but it's not helping you be more healthy. It's telling you you ought to be. And that's the kind of yeah. notification overload that I think Rafe's talking about, whereas it's, it's telling you you do this, you do that. Whereas the really smart home or the real smart tools actually, you know, help you solve the
2: problem. Do the thinking for you. Well, or at least, at least help you through it. But that's the race point is who do you trust to do the thinking for you?
0: Well, and I don't know, I think is the honest answer. But yeah. when we talked about this in previous
2: episodes. Is it a service? Yeah. A service of value? Like you say, I'll pay you because you're going to maintain that. Or are you just come out and take money off of me?
1: And once you solve that trust and agency issue, you then actually have to think about how those are generated. So, if this, then that kind of the declarative stuff is quite easy to do. But the imperative stuff, which is actually how the best things will work, you know, it's the if such and such a thing is happening and something else is happening, then do that, as opposed to the very linear stuff that you get with if this, then that. So, that whole kind of handling of that and how it's going to be set up, because people don't want to set up non complicated rules multiple times over but yet not be brittle, which, as I say, the declarative stuff tends to be. It's a really interesting one, and I didn't see anything really compelling. I mean, everyone was talking about it, and particularly with regard to the smart home and sort of fitness and health, but it still feels quite nascent, all of that, but it's also exciting because it's an area that it feels like we're on the cusp of getting a lot of that stuff that enables these new kind of problems to start emerging rather than it just being, I've connected this and it's kind of interesting.
0: We need to move on to the third thing you observe. But before we do, I mm. want to tell you a story. Ooh. I met a man today. I know, you're both looking excited. Okay, I met it. a man who was a Patreon supporter of Ooh. 361 Podcast. That's right. And it just struck me that he just looked happier than all the other people around him. If I looked at the space that he was in, there was a certain joie de vivre that was sort of uh, emerged from him. He he seemed happier. He seemed more content with his life. He looked pretty successful. I think he smelled quite nice. You know, Mm. I mean, I definitely think that of all the people in that room, he was probably one of the more attractive, you know, so in general, I think from that data set, we can infer that anyone who supports the 361 podcast by making a small donation via Patreon on to cover the cost of the show and to help us invest in things in the future, really the quality of their life immediately and irrevocably improves substantially.
1: Clear course or link?
0: I think I can say that as a guarantee that Rafe Blanford will underwrite. We're doing well. Business. We are so uh, as we talk we've got a fantastic number of supporters at the moment, the total is about forty dollars an episode, which is very generous, but I think we can do better, and our target we have set ourselves is hundred dollars an episode at which point somebody's going to come and vigorously rub Rafe Blanford for the purposes of testing what can you get instantly over the internet using mobile apps we're going to try out all of these uber like services. The one we have our eye on is urban massage. Um, Rafe Blanford has selflessly yes. volunteered to be the man up front. He's
2: sitting back at the well, minute. He's got his front. arms crossed. I He's think I not- might
1: disagree with the volunteered. I think it's more like I have been volunteered. You can nitpick the semantics, but the point is, when we
0: hit a hundred dollars an episode, we're going to get Rafe Blanford massaged, and it will also let us do a <laughs> test a whole bunch, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Where we will test services that you can procure over mobile, and we're going to try and find ones that are improved for being supplied by mobile as well. That's and we'll right. give them a real test live on the air on the podcast, potentially with pictures if Rafe Blanford allows. But for it.
2: clarity, what we're saying is we will go on to Urban Massage just before the episode begins, I think. Or maybe we will record it in stages and tap, 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 and the therapist will arrive. The therapist arrives. Set the table up. The trousers are off. I repeat, off the trousers.
1: <sighs> So you're basically telling me that you're going to be live reporting a massage? Not going to be your proudest moment, is it?
0: Not really, no. But there again, I don't come to this podcast seeking the high points in my life.
1: And can I point out, I was quietly touched by the number of people emailing me to ask me about this massage. But when the text messages started arriving, Did you that, get that, joke? that he was quietly touched. Yes, that was a little bit disturbing, especially when it then started going around the office and I had a number of people coming and asking me had I had the massage yet And they were bitterly disappointed and if you're one of those people who's bitterly disappointed all I can say is I urge you to uh well actually I don't urge you no don't in fact don't do it don't
2: don't encourage them
0: so what we're doing is for the last 11 seasons of the 361 podcast, we have funded production costs out of our own pockets and we will continue to do so. The yeah, show will yeah. carry on, but we'd like to try some new stuff, a little bit more ambitious. And what we're going to do there is ask our listeners to help us fund some of that. If you'd like to, then great. We Thank you very much to all those who are donating now. If you don't want to or
2: you can't afford it, then just keep listening and enjoy it and we hope it's still fun. Do we need to do a thing whereby if we get to the end of the series and um, you and I just... Got the money up <laughs> to get it to hundred dollars an no, episode. W-
1: that won't count. Nor will the a hundred dollars per month thing, which you were trying to pull earlier.
0: Well, let's just say that I have engaged in some more direct face-to-face fundraising activities as well. But Fine. if you'd like to support us, you can. What we recommend is one dollar, which is about sixty pence per episode. It works out about the cost of two coffees for a season if you're in the UK. So hopefully, uh, what you know, a very minimal amount of money helps us fund the show.
2: It's not all about winding Blanford up. Either. It is mostly about winding
0: Blanford up. But but it's yeah. not all about I
2: mean, that because be. we're looking to do some exciting things and it also does justify us doing above the norm with our respective challenges exactly like yes. my so, wife your wife so, some of you
0: have written in and suggested other ways that you would like to support the show or you'd like to donate well, I other, other ways to other ways to massage ref blanford <laughs> yes have you tried sticks and we will be looking at those, and we'll be launching those in season 12, if all goes to plan. And, and thank you for all your feedback on that one. Anyways, we should move on before Rafe Bamford leaves the room. We're going to do this quickly because we're over time. Interaction types, you said. Now, we were talking before the show started about waving our arms around in the car, and BMW have a new control mechanism for their 7 Series, I think it is, a very high-end limousine.
1: Yeah, I mean, BMW referred to this, I think, as air control. The idea is you can point at a button and the car will work out that that's what you're trying to do. And so the gestures have always been kind of one of those cutting-edge things, but there was a lot more of it at CES. Audi was showing off uh, kind of a tablet demo with gestures.
2: Insert joke about Audi and... Yes, absolutely. Obligatory, we've done that there we go, thank you.
1: But also down in Eureka Park, which is kind of the startup area, there were various methods that could be used with any device, and it was just, you know, wave over the top of a sensor. And it kind of gets interesting when you're talking about trying to do things hands-free. So one of the examples that was demoed was being able to use your iPad for recipes in the kitchen, but you want to be able to switch over without touching it because presumably you've got flour on on your hand and that kind of thing. That struck me as interesting, but it wasn't just about gestures. It was also about things like voice control Mm. and... That was typically seen through a mobile phone, but it was also through these speakers that I spoke about earlier. And voice in the car, very much coming to the fore. So VW were showing off a feature that's just like Siri and Cortana. You went, hello, VW, and then asked it to do something. And for the car, I think that makes a lot of sense. But what was interesting about this is, you know, up until this point, it's been largely driven through things like Siri and Cortana, at least our experience of voice control in consumer electronics. But... There are a couple of companies providing a platform. And again, it was Amazon that kind of caught my attention for their Amazon Alexa service, whereby that's becoming available just as a platform and an API that anybody could use. And so we talk about the big tech giants But Amazon, I thought, was interesting here because there were a couple of places in the show where they were acting as an enabler, just as they do for AWS, for Amazon Web Services. But they were starting to do the value-add services on top. So I talked about Amazon Dash and replenishment services, but it was also Amazon Alexa for voice. And that was really interesting because it broke down the notions of the traditional big tech players. friend of the show, Sam Machin, who may or mm. may not be listening. Hello, Hi, Sam, Sam, if you are, has built a really cool demo
0: of, I think, what he called the $10 Echo, where he built a board and it records your voice and it submits it to the Alexa service and it gets the response back. And pointing out that actually without all the speaker piece, you can actually use that service now for, with, with very, very, sm- very very, cool. very low very power. Smart. And his demo was really cool. And I noticed mm-hmm. that uh, Werner Vogels, who I'd previously seen speaking about Amazon Web Services at an enterprise, do a shared Sam's project, which he tweeted around. I thought it was really cool. But if he can build it for $10, Amazon could clearly build it for That's way less at scale. And so these services are immediately applicable into very, very low cost hardware.
1: What's interesting about that is, you know, we started off with the mouse and then touch with the smartphone became the dominant interaction method or type. But just as with the continuum of devices, we're starting to see a broadening out of the ways you will interact with it. And obviously the interaction method is absolutely key because once you move away from touch and needing a screen there are a lot of other opportunities out there. And gesture and voice are the big ones, but we were starting to see others as well in response to other kind of human actions. And typically that could be around eye tracking and things like that. But actually kind of open up your imagination and see what else is out there. It was also kind of the automatic response, the kind of if this, then that kind of triggers of activity either in the digital realms or in the physical realms all acting as kind of that interaction point or that trigger. But as I said, the thing that really did catch my attention was Amazon acting as this kind of platform provider. And just as we've traditionally seen CES as a place where you can go and get all the hardware bits and do things, increasingly now there are software pieces to that puzzle as well. And we talked earlier about how you could build all of these connected objects out of kind of a smartphone hardware. It feels like the next step of that is... It is, you know, just a continuation of the APIs and kind of the services that existed before, but they are significantly smarter in that there is a lot of the intelligence is now sitting in the cloud, but at the same time is provided as a platform that anyone can use, and so that lowers the barriers to entry, but also enables more intelligence. And I'm sure we are going to see the same things, both in terms of input and output. Facebook, in the way it's talked about messaging as a platform, I think is interesting, and there were a couple of companies demonstrating how WeChat could be used as an output. So they didn't have their own outputs, they didn't mm-hmm. have their own apps, they just put things onto WeChat. And so that became a kind of interaction point for some of these devices. And you know, yes, that was done through the traditional ways, but it was kind of the, the reverse of the thinking that usually goes on. And so if we take those three themes together, kind of rise of continuous sensory explosion and new interaction types, all of it sort of comes together to be a very broad and kind of generic connected life but what caught my attention about that was it moves beyond kind of very singular digital devices and experience to something that's kind of just enmeshed in the world around you and is endemic and it's not that the smartphone is not important because it is it is actually still the ultimate control point but that does start to allow us a world where actually maybe the smartphone isn't the only thing because everything sits in the cloud and while the smartphone is the most important you know, you can imagine a whole bunch of services across which interactions and information is shared. And I think in the next few years at CES, we're going to see a lot more of that. And to me, that's kind of an exciting new frontier because that's how you solve the usability problem. That's how you make it just happen in your life. At the moment, we have to work quite hard sometimes to work with digital services. The user experience yeah. is poor. It needs to be just part and parcel of life. It needs to be frictionless. And I think... Those kind of three trends that I've talked about is how you achieve that kind of connected life. I guess the joke would be, where's my jetpack future that I was promised? And that's where it comes from.
0: Okay, thanks very much, guys. Good to see you. Welcome back, Ray Blanford. Back to civilization. Lots of love. Thank you very much for listening. You can comment and subscribe to the show at 361podcast.com. We tweet at 361podcast, and we take your comments there as well. Or you can find us on the Facebook we are three six one podcast there as well, surprisingly enough, and we would love to hear your feedback from the show and the whole season, which would be great. You can also email and contact us on our voicemail through the website as well. As ever, thank you very much for listening,
1: and we will be back next week. Bye bye.